Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and I'm very pleased to be your host this evening as we talk about driving with low vision. This subject, along with other subjects, are available in the book that we have written, Living with Low Vision. And this particular type of book, it is available to those members of CCLVI with membership, or you could also purchase it at Amazon.com. If you're interested in the book, you could simply go to the CCLVI website at www.cclvi.org. So the evening's discussion is on driving with low vision. And this is something that so many people who are visually impaired, partially sighted, legally blind, and even those with profound vision impairment are very interested in because driving is something that is so very, very important to many of us, especially when we live in certain areas that there is not a lot of public transportation. I know that in my own particular situation, it was... 2004 when I was forced to retire from being a practicing optometrist because I was diagnosed with a retinal disorder that's called cone raw degeneration. Now the cone is the region in the center of the retina that gives us the ability to read details. So if we want to see a street sign, we want to see a traffic signal, or we want to read a license plate on a car in front of us, we use the cone cells in the eye in order to see that. Now, in my particular case, the cone cells, for some unknown reason, were beginning to die, and I had a blind spot right in the very center of my vision of my left eye. Other conditions, such as macular degeneration, albinism, also in terms of those people who might even have a trauma, a scar to the central retina, they may also suffer from these kinds of vision problems. Diabetic retinopathy can also cause the loss of cone visual function. Now, the other cells that are in the retina are called the rod cells, and the rod cells are the cells that allow us to see within our peripheral vision, if we're going to walk or if we're going to drive, because the rod cells give us that ability to see what's on each side of us. Okay, so the rod cells are very important if we're driving because as you're looking straight ahead down the road, the rod cells allow you to see the lines that are painted as the lanes. It allows you to see the cars on either side of you, and it also allows you to see pedestrians that might be running into the street or off the crosswalk. Another very important function of those rod cells is that the rod cells also allow you to see at night. So in my condition, I had damage to the cone cells that gave me the clarity of sight, and I also had damage to the rod cells that gave me the peripheral vision and night vision. And as you could understand, driving, walking, riding a bicycle, all these things were very, very difficult for me just because of the fact that I had poor central and poor peripheral vision. Now, when a person has rod cell problems, there's many, many difficulties that they may have. They may notice that they cannot see steps and curves, or if they're going to walk over a, a step in the parking lot, 
They may not see those concrete steps that stop your car from rolling as you get into parking space. Diseases that also have reduced rod function include retinitis pigmentosa. People who suffer from glaucoma often will lose their peripheral visual function. And we also will see that patients who suffer from different types of head injury may suffer from damage to the optic nerve that affects that peripheral vision. Now, the first thing that any of you who has a vision problem must understand is that there is a lot of hope that you may be able to drive. And this is something that many people are not aware of. Here at our clinic, the Center for the Partially Side in Los Angeles, we find this all the time that patients will come in and they say, no, I don't drive anymore. I just assume that I can't drive because my vision isn't 2020 any longer. Well, in the state of California, as well as in many other states, a person does not have to have 2020 eyesight in order to get a driver's license. Many times we often think of our vision as being strong or poor based on how we could see those letters on the eye chart at the doctor's office. But that particular test is only measuring what is the smallest size letter that you could read from a distance of 20 feet with one eye closed. It tells us nothing about many of the other visual skills that are even more important when you're driving. Some of these other visual skills that are really much more important for driving include, number one, your peripheral vision. If you have peripheral vision, you have the ability to see the cars that are on each side of you, and at the same time, you're able to see the lanes that are printed or painted on the street. You can see the lights on the traffic signals, and you also have that ability to keep your car going straight because your peripheral vision will direct your orientation. If a person does not have peripheral vision, it is almost impossible for them to be aware of where their car is, where other cars are, where pedestrians are, and where are traffic signals. You could imagine that. What would it be like if you were driving and you were looking through a drinking straw? You might be able to see part of the taillight of the car in front of you, but you would see nothing more. So we have to have good peripheral vision. Number two, we also have to have the ability to be able to see under different lighting conditions. You know, we can't necessarily predict the weather. It might suddenly be very, very bright, and then suddenly you have a flash flood. This is what we experienced here in Los Angeles last week. It was so clear, and then just minutes later, all of these clouds came in and it just started raining like crazy. So the amount of lighting that's in your driving environment may change. Or you might be driving and suddenly you go through a tunnel. As soon as you enter that tunnel, you might not be able to see anything because your eyes don't adjust that quickly. Or you might be driving in a tunnel, and when you exit the tunnel into the bright sunlight, you're just blinded. It could take your eyes as much as a minute to two minutes to adjust to those lighting conditions. So we want to make certain you can adjust the different lighting conditions for driving. Number three, you need to have good depth perception. It makes common sense that you have to know 
Is that car 10 feet in front of you, or is that car 100 feet in front of you? It is your depth perception that gives you the ability to judge how close or how far a car is from you. Now, we know that the human brain has 10 different ways that it can judge how close or how far an object is from you. One of the more important ways that we do it is by what's called binocular stereoscopic vision, meaning that if you have two eyes that see equally well together and they point at the same direction, you can then determine how close or how far that car is from you. But in some cases, a person might develop blurred vision in one eye. It might be a cataract or retinal problem or glaucoma, just to one eye. And if the vision between the two eyes is not equal, you then lose that stereoscopic depth perception. But fortunately, there are activities that people can perform, and you can then learn to develop higher levels of depth perception even if you have only one eye that sees well. One of the very interesting stories about that was Babe Ruth, the great baseball hitter for the New York Yankees, he really only had one eye that he saw clearly out of. The other eye was very, very blurry, but he was able to see how close or how far the ball was because he learned to judge depth using just one eye. So this means that if you have suffered from the loss of vision of one eye, but you have another eye that still sees well, you can develop that higher level of vision. We also want to find out what is your color vision like? Color vision is very important. When we drive, we often are going to rely on seeing traffic signals. And many people would say, you know what, I really don't have problems with traffic signals because I could tell which colored light is on the top and which one is on the bottom. And if it's on the top or the bottom, then I know if it's going to be a red or a green light. Well, that's not necessarily true because when people have blurred vision or they may have difficulties in seeing on a foggy day or that the sun is shining right into their eyes, they often don't have that kind of clarity of sight to be able to see if that light is coming from the top the middle or the bottom of that traffic signal. And we often see a lot of people who are in car accidents because they have reduced color vision. Fortunately, as doctors, we do have different lenses now that can be prescribed in the form of a contact lens, something called an X-chrome lens, and there's also spectacle lenses that can be used, and for some people, it will improve their color vision. Another very important visual skill that we have to consider is contrast sensitivity. How well can your brain perceive different shades of contrast? Have you ever noticed that when you go to the eye doctors and the eye doctor asks you to read letters on the eye chart, it's a completely white background with very black bold letters. And things in life are never that way. You know, when you look at a newspaper, it's gray letters on a light gray paper. When you're looking at a menu, they have things that are going to be in low contrast. When you're driving down the road, the roads, the pavement, it is very rarely that the pavement is black. 
and you have white striped lanes. It's usually that the pavement is gray, and the white paint that is marking the lanes is no longer that white. This is where contrast vision comes into play. And contrast vision is something that most people with low vision, they lose their contrast vision. And when it's foggy, it is even more difficult for people to see under these low contrast conditions. Fortunately, there are many different types of lenses, different colored lenses that can increase the perceived level of contrast. For example, many people who have low vision are able to see much better when they wear a yellow or an amber or a brown lens because these particular lenses will enhance the contrast between different objects that one sees. On the other hand, when people wear sunglasses that are too dark, it actually will reduce a person's contrast. Another thing to consider is glare sensitivity. How well do your eyes respond to glare? When we're talking about glare, a lot of times this could be how the light from the sun or a light, it reflects off of the windshield of your car or the car in front of you. Or it could be that light is going to reflect off the bumper of the car in front of you. Or how about those situations where you're driving down the street and another car is coming the opposite direction and that car's lights are just blinding you. This particular type of glare sensitivity is a very, very significant problem. But if you do have problems with glare sensitivity, there are polarized lenses. And these polarized lenses can be placed in glasses. They come in all different colors so that it could reduce the glare, and we could also increase the contrast by using specific colors. And if you need a prescription, we could incorporate your prescription in there just as much. Now, another visual skill that's also very important for driving, it's not only just your vision, but how does your body react to what has been seen? This is your visual reaction time. There are some people who may have very quick visual reaction time, and they could be very safe driving. But there's others who might have very delayed visual reaction time. I know one of the things I used to drive with my father. My father would come to pick me up, and later in my father's life, he developed Parkinson's disease. He had slight tremors to his fingers. But one of the things that I noticed, though, was that when he was driving, there were many times that I noticed that he had to brake very hard, very quickly. And this was because of the fact that his foot would not react quite as quickly as he had expected it. If he saw a car merge in front of him, he would move his leg to put his foot on the brake, but his foot wouldn't get over there quite as quickly. So getting back to the visual reaction time, it's important that the doctors are going to measure your visual reaction time to make certain that even if you see things properly, that your hands and your legs and your feet react as they should so that you could be very, very safe. And then the last thing that I'm going to talk about is the visual acuity. Your visual acuity is going to describe what is the smallest size letter or number that you could read on that eye chart from a distance of 20 feet. 
And for different states, the criteria that is necessary to drive a car or to obtain a license is different. But you do not have to have 20-20 eyesight in each eye in order to obtain a driver's license. I'm going to say that again. You do not need to have 20-20 eyesight in each eye to obtain a driver's license in most states. In the state of California, California's requirement is that with your glasses, if you are able to see better than 2200, then you are a candidate to take the driver's test. So what does that mean? That means that if you have a new pair of glasses and you look at that eye chart, and you could read any letter or any number that is smaller than the big E on the eye chart, your vision is better than 20 over 200. And in California, if your vision is better than 20 over 200, the DMV will then recommend that you would be examined by a low vision optometrist. Now, the DMV will then give you a form This is a special low vision form, and it's called the DMV 962 form here in California. But that's a form that you could take to the low vision optometrist and say, I would like to try to take a test to obtain my driver's license. The doctor will be very familiar with this form, and the doctor is going to then measure your vision without glasses, and then the doctor's going to do a special test to measure what would be the best glasses to maximize your vision. Those glasses might include the polarized filter we talked about. It might include a high-contrast yellow or amber lens. And it might also include the use of a anti-reflective coating to maximize the amount of light that enters your eyes. Now, when you have your eyes examined at the low vision optometrist's office, the charts that they use are very special charts. These are charts that are like computer screens, and they're illuminated from the back. As a result, there's much more contrast. So it's very common that a person who has their eyes examined at the office of a low vision optometrist their vision is going to measure much better than if they had their eyes measured at the office of a regular eye doctor. Many times, people, they get their eyes examined at the ophthalmologist's office because they want to determine if the ophthalmologist can perform surgery or prescribe medications to improve the person's vision. But many ophthalmologists, such as the ophthalmologists who specialize in macular degeneration, or diabetic retinopathy. These ophthalmologists, they do not generally perform refractions to determine what glasses and which filters and which lenses would improve your vision the most. They often will use some of the antiquated types of eye charts. And so as a result, your vision might measure 2200 And the doctor will then tell you that you are not eligible to drive in the state of California. 
But if you do go to a low vision doctor, they will perform these tests, they will use these charts, and it is very common that your vision with the new glasses the doctor has prescribed might be as good as 2070 or 2060. And under this situation, if your visual acuity is 2060, 2070, 2080, you are definitely a candidate to obtain a driver's license. The next thing that the doctor will do during that test is he or she will measure your peripheral vision. We want to make certain that you can see the cars that are on either side of you. If your peripheral vision is what we call about 140 degrees, this is usually a sufficient width of peripheral vision that would allow you to see cars on the right and the left side of you. If your peripheral vision is much smaller, say that your field of vision is only 20 degrees, you would not qualify to obtain a driver's license. Why is that? Because if your visual field is only 20 degrees, you would not be able to see pedestrians that are crossing, or you wouldn't see the cars on each side of you. You wouldn't really be able to see the lanes on each side of your wheels. So it would be very difficult and very unsafe for you to drive. They will also perform what is called a telescopic lens assessment. What these are is that these are very small telescopes that can be put into the glasses of your regular glasses. And with this particular type of telescope, you would be able to look through that telescope for a brief period of time, and you would then be able to see the street signs. With the telescope, the doctor will determine if you are able to see 2040 through the telescope. If you are able to see 2040 with a fixed focus telescope, this is something that the doctor may prescribe for you in your glasses. Now, people often say, well, how in the world would I be able to drive looking through these telescopes? You know, can you imagine looking through a pair of binoculars and trying to drive down the street? You wouldn't be able to do it. But the point to this is that when you have telescopic glasses, you are not looking through the telescope all the time that you drive. You only glance through the telescope for a period of one to two seconds as you look to read what is that street sign. Or you look to identify what is the color of that traffic light. But the remainder of the time, you are looking through your regular glasses that the doctor has prescribed for you to maximize your vision. So the telescopic glasses is something that is extremely, extremely helpful for many people who have poor visual acuity due to macular degeneration, or it could be that it's due to glaucoma or diabetes. These telescopic glasses are very, very helpful. If the doctor then finds that the telescopic glasses are really helpful for you, they will then refer you to a department at their clinic, or they might refer you to an outside agency where you then learn how to use these telescopic glasses. The learning of it is something that is really quite simple, but we want people to make certain that using these telescopic glasses becomes automatic. And the first thing that we do is that we ask the person to sit in a chair and to look at something that is not moving. 
look at the tree. Look at the house across the street. Look at the traffic signal. Let's just see if you're able to find those. The next stage is where we then ask the person is to sit in the chair, and we want you to follow something that's moving. It might be a person who is walking. Keep your eyes on that person, and let's see if you could follow that person as that person crosses the street. The third stage is that we will ask you to move. And as you are walking, we want you to move your body back and forth, side to side, and look at something that is not moving. So again, you could look at a house or a mailbox across the street and take a few steps forward and a few steps backward, move your head from side to side. And can you keep your eyes on that mailbox? And once you have mastered that particular level, we then ask you to move and to look at something else that is moving. You might sit in the car as a passenger, and we might ask you then to follow that person who is crossing the street, ask you to follow that car that's moving down the road, to follow anything else there that's moving. Once a person has mastered those levels, we then would recommend that they ride in the car with a friend or a driver's trainer just to get the knack of using the telescopic glasses to identify a, a traffic signal or a street sign. I also like to recommend to my patients that they use a GPS system. These GPS systems are more affordable now, but they really make things easier because you could program where it is that you're trying to go, and they will tell you which lane to get into, when you're going to be turning. As a result, you don't have to focus so hard trying to read these street signs because in some locations it's really difficult to see them. If you might even think about it, you might realize that most people when they're driving, they're not even looking at these street signs. They might see that, hey, there's a McDonald's, I know I need to turn right there. Hey, there's a Starbucks, I need to turn left there. And they could find their way home by looking at these different types of landmarks. The last phase with it, it would then be that the person is going to take driver's training lessons. There are certified driving instructors. Many times these folks are at hospitals. Others are just independent driving instructors. But you want to ask if they have any experience in teaching a person how to drive with the telescopic glasses. But if you don't wear the telescopic glasses, it may mean that your doctor says, your vision is not so severe that you need the telescopic glasses. I'm just going to make you these low vision glasses, and you could drive with these low vision glasses. You should then receive driver's training instruction on the road with these licensed instructors. Many times it could be quite expensive. It might be up to $900 for a series of these types of sessions, but I have found that my patients who have taken these courses, they have been very, very successful in obtaining their driver's license. When I think about what are some of the things that many people who did not pass their driver's test, what are the mistakes that they have done when they have failed their driving test? It has really not been specifically related to their vision. But a lot of times, it has been related to the fact that they were so nervous 
trying to drive in front of the instructor or the examiner, excuse me, that they really just couldn't concentrate very, very well. As you know, none of us are really that comfortable if we have to perform in somebody. But if you do take the driver's training and you have a driving instructor, it really helps you to get much more comfortable with it. The other thing is to also keep in mind that you have more than one opportunity to take this driving road test in order to obtain your driver's license. So it's not where you could only take it one time and that that would be the only chance you have. I have one patient, and this is what he has told me, so I do believe him. This person has taken the road test 21 times before he has passed it. 21 times it took him to pass it. To make it even worse, this gentleman is fully sighted. He doesn't even wear glasses. There's absolutely nothing wrong with him. Nothing wrong with his vision. But he just became so anxious that he couldn't take this particular test very, very well. So overall, in each state, there are different requirements. But these requirements are very similar to those requirements we have here in the state of California. Again, one does not have to have 20-20 eyesight in each eye in order to receive a driver's license. Now, there are different types of driver's licenses that are available. Some driver's licenses are going to say it's restricted so that you could only drive to and from work or you could only drive to and from school. When they offer you that particular type of driver's license, feel free to speak with that examiner and ask that examiner if you would have the opportunity to demonstrate your driving ability under other circumstances. They will often allow you to drive in different circumstances. For example, I had one patient, and this patient had a condition called albinism. This is where it doesn't have any kind of pigment to the eyes, hair, or skin. Now, when people have albinism, they have blurred vision, and they often are very sensitive to the bright sunlight. So he took his driver's test during the daytime because that's when they offered it, and he passed it. But it said, restricted to daylight driving only. And he said, you know, I, I, I really would like to be able to drive at nighttime. I need to drive more than just the daytime. So I wrote a letter for him, and I stated that his vision is actually better at night. And I think that he would benefit from taking a road test at night and to demonstrate his ability to drive safely on the freeway. Now, in this particular case, the state of California sent down a special teacher, and this examiner came down and put him in the car. They went on the freeway. They drove at night, and he did spectacular with it. So they then gave him an unrestricted license. He could drive anywhere at any time that he likes. But it's important that you appeal if they give you the restricted license. Because many times they just assume that if you have a vision problem, that you don't see well enough to drive at night. 
or that you don't see well enough to drive on the freeway. I can tell you that from my own experience, when I had vision problems and my vision was still where I had 20-40 vision, I had enough peripheral vision where I could see the cars on either side, I was much more comfortable driving on the freeway and at night. One of the reasons is that driving at night, I didn't have the problems with the brightness of the sun. And number two, driving on the freeway, I wasn't concerned about not seeing a pedestrian or somebody who might be crossing the street in the crowded city. So I much rather drive on the freeway. So this is the way that it may be for many of you. And when your optometrist measures your vision, he will be able to make those particular types of recommendations. Should you drive on the street? Should you drive on the freeway? Would it be better for day, better for night? Would you benefit from a GPS system? What type of GPS system would be helpful for you? And also, there's some other really good accommodations that the eye doctor can make for you. One of the things is that there are special mirrors that you could place on your side mirrors. And these particular types of mirrors are convex, so they're curved differently. But what that does is it gives you a wider field of view. So if you are a person who is uncomfortable changing lanes, for example, you could put in a convex lens and you could glance with your eyes at that lens and you could see if the lanes on the side of you are open or not. Then you could double check by turning your head, looking behind you to confirm that it's clear, and then you could proceed to change lanes. But these convex side mirrors are very, very good. Another thing that's also very helpful are mirrors that are mounted inside your car And it's called a WINK, W-I-N-K mirror. And this goes across the whole width of your windshield, and it consists of five different mirrors. So when you look up into any one of those mirrors, you could see everything that's behind you. So it gives you more confidence of knowing whether or not it's safe to change lanes. Some department motor vehicles will recommend this kind of a mirror for you. And they're available at many different types of automotive types of stores. And the other thing that I would recommend is that when you are going to schedule your appointment at the DMV, schedule the appointment at the time that would be best for you. You probably want it to be at a time where there isn't the rush hour and there's not a lot of pedestrians. A lot of times it would be better if you take the examination between 10 and 2 o'clock. Because if you take it too early in the morning, there may be certain times the sun is too low and you're going to be driving right into the sun and you cannot see. Or the same thing may happen when you're driving too late in the evening. But if you're driving between 10 and 2, the sun is usually much higher and the sun isn't going to get directly into your eyes. That makes it much easier for you to see the traffic signals. If there is a particular day that it is very, very foggy or it's raining, I think that you just need to reschedule that appointment. I would call the DMV and tell them that I'm ill today. I cannot take my test. 
there's no sense in you going through that additional stress trying to battle the weather as well. And another thing that you're going to really, really want to do is that when you go to take your driver's test, take your car to the car wash. It'll be worth the 8 or 9 or $10, whatever it costs in your area, to let them wash your car and to clean your windshields very, very well. I have spoken to driver's instructors, and they have told me that it is just so much more comfortable for them to drive with someone who has a clean car with a clean windshield. It just gives them that sense that this person is a much more responsible type of driver. And with all of that in mind, it's going to make it much easier. The last thing that I recommend is that when you are taking the examination, the road test, feel free to talk to the examiner. If he says, oh, I want you to turn up here, you might ask me, I'm sorry, did you want me to turn right or left here? Did you want me to turn right or left at the McDonald's? You could ask them some of these questions, and they will tell you. And that will eliminate the need for you to try to read these signs. By explaining to them that you would like for them to carefully explain where they want you to go, you're going to be much, much happier. So at this time, let's go ahead and let's unmute your phone. If you have any questions, you could ask questions about the criteria for driving or the cost of any of these types of visual aids. Or if you want to share your own experience with driving with a bioptic, I know we have some people here who already have a bioptic, uh, you could tell your stories. So press a star six and we'll open up to questions. Dr. Bill, this is Tom. I'll start off with a question. <laughs> Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm good. Uh, what kind of a procedure is it to have one of these bioptic telescopes in installed? You know, that's a very, very good question. You know, the first step with that is that you do need to have an examination by a low-vision optometrist or a low-vision ophthalmologist. What these doctors do is that they are trained to determine the best glasses prescription for you. So, for example, let's say that you're a person and you have had cataract surgery or maybe you have uveitis and that caused a cataract to form, and they had to remove the natural lens of your eye. The doctor will then determine the best glasses prescription to allow the light to focus on your eye. Now from then, the doctor will determine what particular telescopic power would be the best for your eyes. And they have sample telescopes that they will then put into the glasses and they will ask you then to read the letters on the chart. You could then compare the different telescopes, and you might like number one, or you might like the fourth one, or you might like the sixth one. And whichever one really seems to improve your vision the best, the doctor will then send your glasses out to a special lab. Most of the time, we use a lab in New York that's called Designs for Vision. And this is a really wonderful lab because they not only specialize in making these telescopic glasses, but they also make the telescopic glasses that you see surgeons use in the operating room. And within a period of about two weeks, the glasses would come back to you, 
and the telescope is mounted precisely where it needs to be. And when you put the glasses on, you simply tilt your head down just slightly, and then you're looking through the telescope. At that point in time, you're ready for the training. Now, another thing which is very, very good, and you want to talk to your low vision doctor about this, we always tell our patients about this. We tell them that we want them to go through an intensive training program to learn to use the telescope for one week. After that week, we recommend that they go through a one-week intensive driver's training program where they are driving with the telescopic glasses. And then the third week, we ask them to then schedule their driving examination at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Now, here's the thing. If this person fails a test and the person says, you know, I've had it. I, I, really, I really don't want to drive. I do not want to drive. We have that option of returning that telescope to Designs for Vision for a full refund within 30 days. So these telescopic glasses, they could cost any place between $700 and $2,000, depending on the prescription and the power of the telescopes, the tints, all of these things. But what's great about it is that if we do return it within 30 days, for most prescriptions, we can get a refund of the patient's money. And so that is something that's very, very significant. Now, there's other people who might get the telescopic glasses, but their doctor hasn't taught them how to schedule all of these training in the right sequence. And maybe that person later says, you know, I didn't pass and I'd like to return these glasses. Well, if it's after 30 days, the person doesn't get that same kind of money back refund. So that would be something that would be very, very important. But the telescopic glasses are actually very routine and very easy for the low vision optometrist and the low vision ophthalmologist to prescribe. Next do you question. Have to have, do you have to have a, a telescopic device on both eyes, or can you do with just one? Oh, that's a great question, Tom. That's really, really good. For most people, I would say nine out of ten patients, they would have a telescope only in one eye. And the reason for that is because most people have one eye that sees better than the other. So we will often put it over the eye that has better vision. The second thing is that when we use two telescopes, one of the things is that the patients may suffer from double vision. If they're looking through the telescopes at a traffic signal, then they suddenly see double vision. That becomes a big problem. And it's because of the fact that the telescopes would be focused at a specific distance. And if we have two of them, and the person gets too far or the car is too close from that traffic light, it will then not line up properly with the traffic light and they'll see double vision. So in most cases, we will say it's going to only be in one eye. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Those are great questions. Yes? Yeah, this is Tom from Vermont. Hi, Tom. How are you? in the forefront here autonomous vehicles that might be uh, 
It'll be a good combination, I would assume. Yes, yes. That is something that is really, really exciting. And we're talking about the self-driving cars or the driverless cars. And this is something that Google has been working with. I believe it's been along with Ford. And I know that Toyota and Nissan are into it. And I just read an article that Tesla is making a car that does not require a driver. And with these particular types of cars, they rely on the GPS system along with other sensors so that the car will always have this type of feedback mechanism and it will be able to travel where it needs to go without bumping into other cars based on all of this type of sensor. I personally think this is going to be something that will be fantastic for not only people who have low vision, but for a lot of other people. You know, there's a lot of people out there driving today, and they have attention deficit. Other people have hyperactivity. Other people are just trying to work all the time. You've seen people that inside their car, they're reading the newspaper. Others are putting on lipsticks. Others are putting on mascara and doing all these other crazy things. And by having cars that could drive themselves, these people will not have to worry about driving. They could do everything they want to do while they're just riding in the car. The only thing that I don't know and I haven't heard yet, I have not heard what is going to be the anticipated price of these cars. Uh, do you know, Tom? I, I, I heard originally, obviously, fairly expensive because they're only putting them on uh, the upper-end cars now. But I mean, hopefully they'll get it more along the forty to fifty thousand uh, dollar range, which is expensive. But on the other hand, yeah, cars are getting up to that. Yeah, you know, so many cars are as much as forty to fifty thousand dollars. And uh, as a matter of fact, I I took Lyft. Lyft is is uh, you know like Uber, and I took Lyft to travel fifteen miles from my home. But there was traffic. You know, here in L.A., there's a lot of traffic. And it cost me $29. I, I was really surprised at, you know, what that cost would be to travel 15 miles. And uh, taxis are equally expensive. Um, if you're taking limousines, uh, they're expensive. So even though we, we may say that that price for the self-driving car is forty or $50,000, if you had to take a taxi all the time, uh, you, you're going to be spending quite a bit of money, you know, each year. So this is going to be something that will be really good for us, I think. Yeah, with with the uh, – because I'm still sometimes wonder about, the, you know, the, the low vision, especially around the 200 uh, range. But if you combine that, the special glasses, because you need a driver's license at least now – and the autonomous cars, and that that would be fantastic. Yes, it really would. Another thing that I would like to share, you know, with my experience is that, you know, many times we'll see people who have 2200 vision, and there's a significant difference in the functionality of a child who was born with low vision compared to an adult who developed low vision due to an injury or diabetes all of a sudden. I have so many children who are legally blind with 2200 vision, and you would just be so impressed 
with the way that they play sports. I mean, they could play tennis. They play soccer. I have one patient, and this young man, he is so competitive in playing polo. You know, these horses are just running, and he sees the ball, and I just I can't even believe that he sees the ball that quickly, and he's going, and he's hitting it, and he's one of the top polo players here in the United States. But nobody would know. Nobody would know that this young man is legally blind. But his history of always seeing that way, it has allowed him to develop that kind of depth perception that he knows what and where things are, even though that they're blurry. Whereas a person who's had perfect vision all their life, and then at the age of 50, they develop diabetes and they lose their vision and they're 2200, that person with 2200 they may appear as though they're totally blind if you see the way that they function. So those people who have been born with a vision problem function much better as compared to a person who has developed low vision. Another question? Dr. Bill? Yes, go ahead, please. This is Connie. Um, what is an X-chrome lens? Yeah, the question is, what is the X-chrome lens? So one of the things that we had talked about is that there are many times that people have eye diseases or they could be born with a color vision weakness, a color vision deficiency. Now, an X-chrome lens, it is a red soft contact lens that is placed on only one eye. And when a person who has that type of color vision weakness has both eyes open with the X-chrome lens over one eye, it often helps them to differentiate colors much easier. So you could contact your low vision optometrist or your general optometrist, call them and ask them if they have the X-chrome contact lens, and they could put that lens on you. It's very comfortable, and then they can show you different colors and you could then determine if you see the differences of these colors with that. I have found that this lens works very well if people have what's called a color vision deficiency, meaning that they could see some colors, but they don't see them perfectly. Now, when people have total color blindness due to achromatopsia, I do not find that this X-chrome lens is as effective. Okay. And what was the other lens that you said at the same time you said this X-chrome lens? Yeah, you know, there's a, yeah, there's a new set of glasses that are designed specifically for color vision impairment. And you know what? I will have to go back to my office. I have the boxes there. We just received it, but I don't actually know the name off the top of my head. So okay. uh, what, what, I could, what I could do is I could get that name of that, and if you could, anybody who wants to know the name of those glasses for color vision, uh, send me an email to Dr. Bill Foundation, and that's D-R-B-I-L-L Foundation at gmail.com, and I'll, I'll reply your email with the name of those glasses. Okay, great. Thank you, Connie. Thank you. All right, we have time for about uh, two more questions. Does anybody else have a question out there? I'll say one, uh, Dr. Bill, my yes. son might have, this is Tom from Vermont, might have a genetic problem that he, perhaps he had 
inherited from me. So he's having, you know, some problems seeing at night, some problems driving, and he has some defect that the optic chiasm similar to me. Um, still drive a car, having more problems. He's a chemist and has to look at the spectrometers and all of those things. Are there good low vision specialists that work on that level? I mean, he's probably 20, 25, 20, 30, but having different problems. It isn't mainly acuity. It's a little bit of color perception, those sorts of things. What do you recommend type of exam? Yes, I I would actually uh, recommend uh, that he would be seen by a low vision optometrist at one of the optometry schools. Now, I believe that the closest to Vermont, I don't know if it would be uh, in in Boston, Massachusetts, Nuenco, the New England College of Optometry. Okay, maybe he was diagnosed. He goes down to. Uh... Uh, what is it, Boston Eye? That's where they diagnosed him, and they say, "Yep, <laughs> okay, get an MRI. Yep, you've got a problem with the optic chiasm." But that's as far as they've gone. Now I think he needs some some help. I'm just yes. thinking, like from uh, well, you know, let me tell you just a few things. Number one, because there is a night vision problem. One of the things that I think could be very helpful. All of his glasses should be treated with a multi-layer anti-reflective coating, a multi-layer anti-reflective coating, which will let more light into his eyes. Okay. Number two, when, when he is driving, I don't know what type of car that he has, but it would be good for him to get the best headlamps, something that has a xenon headlamp. It's got a Prius, so they have pretty good headlamps on it. Okay, yeah, very good, very good. And then in terms of looking at the spectrometer, color spectrometer and such, it's possible that, A, we look at what is just the lighting in the laboratory when he's in there. Uh, It is possible, B, that we would try something such as a X-chrome lens or it could be that these glasses for color vision may be helpful as well. Okay. And then with some of these types of spectrometers, there will be a digital numerical display so that you could determine what is that particular color based on the X, Y, and Z coordinates of the numbers. Yeah, I have one one patient, and this gentleman... He is a film editor for major, major motion pictures. Came in for an eye exam, and then I pulled out the color vision book, and he goes, oh, crud. And I go, what? He goes, you know, I don't see colors real well. And I said, wait, isn't your job? Aren't you supposed to be matching colors on these different films that you're you're editing? He goes, yes. I go, well, how do you do it? Because I would imagine it's hard for you to see it. He goes, oh, I can't see it. But I go and I look at the, the digital number analysis on each of these particular types of displays, and he matches it that way. So I'm thinking okay. that it's possible for some of the equipment that your son is using that there could be a numerical conversion for each each of those particular values of colors. 
I know he does that, and there's just one tax that he can't do, and that's contrast. But anyway, I'll recommend to him that maybe he does need a low uh, vision exam and a good one that they know, like everything you've discussed, and they might be able to help him. Yes, and if he does have that low contrast vision that we talked about, a lot of times the use of that yellow a yellow lens inside a, a, a laboratory could give him more contrast for everything that he sees. Right. So, and he could contact me, you know, anytime, and I'd be able to help him in any way. Thank you very much, Dr. Bell. Okay. Well, I want to thank all of you very, very much for attending this evening's lecture. Uh, this this particular topic about low vision and driving, again, it's part of our book that we have produced by the CCLVI. And if you're interested in the book, you could simply go to the website, www.cclvi.org. And I also want to thank Mr. Dick Burden from Airs LA for recording this. Uh, this will be up at Airs LA probably later this week or early next week, and it will also be available at the CCLVI website. So, again, I thank you all very, very much, and I look forward to seeing you next month when we talk more about low vision. Good night, everybody. Thank you.